Hello and welcome. You're listening to The Investor Lab, the auditory epicenter for passionate people seeking a life of freedom, choice, and abundance. And on today's show, we do something a little different. There's a lot of fear and uncertainty in the property market at the moment with inflation going up and interest rates going up and lots of bad news stories in the media. And it's very easy for me to sit here on this side of the microphone and say, hey, guys, here is my point of view or my perspective on the property market, etc." But I thought, well, rather than me having that story, why don't we actually talk to some people who are actually buying properties in the current market right now? So on today's episode, we have a panel discussion with four different investors who are at different stages of the property purchasing journey, all of whom work for Dashdot and all of whom actually have a, and actually can have a perspective on what it's like to be actually buying it, how they're thinking about buying in the current environment, how are they thinking about their strategy, what does this mean long-term, how are they thinking about all of this kind of stuff. And so we kind of really d- danced around in a few different directions. We talked about everything from investing as a millennial to how do we think about inflation to how do we think about investing timelines, what do we think about strategy. So it was really cool to get some other perspectives and to actually just have an open discussion and a panel-style d- discussion on this topic. So personally, I really enjoyed it. Slightly different format um, for this podcast, but I hope that you're going to enjoy it too. I really believe that you will because it's really great to hear from people who are doing the things that you want to do as well. So without any further ado, let's get stuck right into it. And I look forward to seeing you on the inside. Hey guys, welcome back to the Investor Lab. On today's show, we are doing something a little different. We have never done this before. We are actually having a panel discussion. And the reason I wanted to do this, and the reason I think this is going to be really, really cool, is we have got four different team members from Dashdot from different parts of the business at different stages of their own property purchase journey. Now, everyone that we've got here today is currently in the process of buying a property right now. I'll say everyone here, except for except for me and Gabby, we're in the process of getting re- doing some financing and stuff. So we're not actually in the property purchasing process, but the rest of these guys are. And so what I thought would be really, really cool in an environment where there's a lot of media noise, there's a lot of uncertainty, there's a lot of conflicting opinions, there's a really just a lot of, it's, it's, it's really hard to know what to do. I thought, what an awesome opportunity to get some insights from people on the inside who are walking the walk not just talking the talk, and are actually investing in the current environment, digging into all of that kind of stuff. So I'm super excited to to get stuck into this today and have a really cool and robust discussion and really push and pull some ideas around here. And, you know, to all of you guys that are about to introduce yourself, like this shouldn't just be a big pitch to just like, oh, everyone go buy a property. I'm very interested to know your genuine thoughts and fears and hopes and dreams and desires and stuff as it relates to the current environment, because that is what is important here because I think it's a very interesting time that we find ourselves in. But that's enough from me. Let's do some quick introductions and then we can fire into some questions. So, um, Nikki, why don't Nikki, Natalie, why don't we start with you guys? Sure. Hi, everyone. Hey, Goose. Um, thanks for having us. This is really excited to be here. Um, my name's Nikki, and uh, together with Natalie here, we are the co-pilots of the sales team for Dashdot. Sales and advisory. Yeah. Hmm. So. <laughs> Yeah, totally. And so, and if you like, just for a little bit of content, great. So you 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 guys help people when they when they go, hey, look, I'm, I want to talk to Dash. So I want to see if they're a good fit for me. You guys actually 
spend the time and you you actually lead the team that spends the time to actually work out if it's the right thing to do for that specific individual right so that's a, so hence the advisory piece which is really really important there now um just so we're clear like what stage of the property purchasing journey are you guys at uh, if you feel comfortable you know what stage of your portfolio you're at you don't need to answer that if you don't want to but where are you guys currently at in your purchase process it's pretty interesting as well we're, we're moments away from going unconditional. So we're in the middle of, on our, yeah, on our second purchase cool. of the property through Dashdot. So yeah, we're pretty excited to. Second property yeah. in under 12 months, actually, isn't it? That's great. Yeah. It's almost, yeah, it's probably about seven months. Second property in seven months and you guys are just about to go unconditional. That's awesome. Perfect. TJ, what about yourself? Hey there, Goose. So I'm part of the property team. I'm a property acquisition analyst at the moment. Uh, really excited to be on the podcast. Been a long time listener. Uh, I'm currently on my second property, so about to settle in the next month or so. And we're looking to go again. My partner, my partner Janet and I, uh, to look at go go again for the third one, probably early next year. I would say. Wow. Uh, so okay. Really so, so you just bought your first one, and now you're Correct. buying your, yeah. and now you're buying your second one. Yep. Yep. And what stage of that purchase for the second one are you at? Are you getting finance? Are you currently looking for a property? Where, where are you at? Yeah. So we've gone unconditional in finance. So we're just waiting to, to settle now. Uh, so on your second early, property? On my second property. Yeah. That is so fast. I had no idea that you'd gone that fast. You only just <laughs> bought really the first fast, one the yeah. other day. Yeah. I, feel like I, know, it was like, I know. I feel like it was like just the other day where you got your first property. That's awesome. Okay, yeah, so you're crazy. you're currently going unconditional, and also you are you are planning already your third one. You're, you're like, okay. Let's go again for the other one. Okay, perfect. Correct. That's good insight. And so you're currently a property acquisition analyst, but you're actually trained to be an acquisition manager as well. So that's a cool bit of insight too. Cool. Yeah. And Nick, what about yourself? So I'm the property acquisition manager. So I'm in a client facing role, helping the clients sort of dig into the specific property and presenting the property to to the clients and also helping them work out their strategy and what sort of property we're going to buy for them. So I'm in that sort of deep in the active active purchase purchasing part of the journey. Mm. Now, as far as my own journey goes, um, I've bought last year three properties with Dashdot. Um and I had I came one and before that I bought one as a client of Dashdot and then I bought one on my own prior to that. So I've got a total of five properties at the moment. They're all multi dwellings just because I'm a, a you know cash flow hound. Um, and I'm currently in the final throes of going to active search to buy a house in my self managed super fund. Awesome. Um, so that's taken a lot longer than I expected. And and there's all those little admin things like getting the money out of your um, industry fund or whatever it's called the, the government type managed fund and mm. into your actual account you know that's a big process around that and that's the latest hurdle that's hopefully that's the last hurdle so i've got the funds there ready to actually pay my component of the of the purchase cost and then um, i'll actually be able to go into active search because i know things happen pretty quickly um once we're in active search at the moment awesome okay cool so you are literally you're at the you're in the starting block so Nikki and Natalie, you guys are about to go unconditional. Or you're about to go, yeah, unconditional and start settlement settlement of your property. So you're like, you're like in it. You're about to like, and TJ, you're in the same position. And Nick, you are just, you're actually lining up. You're putting your feet on the starting blocks, ready to run. Okay, that's cool. That's awesome. Okay, so I'm going to start with you, Nick, because I'd love to just see some get some conversation going here. Why are you choosing to invest right now? Like, how are you thinking about? investing in the current environment and why why are you saying yes when other people are saying no or maybe 
Um, I guess like in the broader perspective, the people, the media in particular, when, when they're saying no, now's a bad time and prices are going down, they're kind of talking, they're, they're, they're expanding what's happening in a very small subset of the market and implying that that's happening over the whole market. And that's just, you know, fundamentally wrong. So yes, some, some house prices are going down. But there's plenty of house prices um, and locations and regions that are still on the up, um, and that's that's you know that's what we specialise in at Dashdot is identifying those areas. And mm. I've got really strong faith in that process, and I've seen it happen. Um, so so that's that buffers like if you if you were just an average Joe going out and picking a house off the street, um, then there is that risk that you'll you'll land on something that is going to go down or that may not get growth for you know a number of years. But because of the the data data research that we do and the and the data focused approach, I'm I'm confident that we can get into that market at the right time and mm. and not sit there for five years waiting for it to grow and 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 uh, and avoid that worst case where we buy and it actually goes down in value. Yeah, interesting. So you've obviously got a so a, an interesting perspective because you've, you're about to buy your sixth property effectively, right? So decent. So you're sort of like a you know we'll say sophisticated investor at this stage. And also, you're on the front front line, effectively, in acquiring properties with clients, like helping them in that process yourself. Do you think that um, you've got an unfair advantage in terms of your understanding? Because you're like, well, the reason I can do it is because we've got a data-centric approach, but the average punter might not be able to do it. Do you think that, that is giving you an unfair advantage and in your approach? Or like, if you were to remove yourself from Dashdot, would you still have the same opinion? Would you still be like, I'm going to move forward with it? Uh, or, or how would you be thinking about that if you didn't yeah. have access to the insights? Yeah, we, we, I do have an unfair advantage, and our our clients at Dashdot have an unfair advantage because of that data focused approach and and the demonstrable results we've achieved. Um, and if I wasn't in Dashdot, I would hope that there's someone like me that kind of has a deep understanding of what we do on the inside and have seen the results on the ground and can build my confidence to be able to still move forward in in a time that seems laced with risk if you read the the headlines um so yes i think that the the analysis that we do in dashdot gives our clients and dashdot an unfair advantage over mm. the rest of the market so there's no denying that um but it's not me as an as an individual that gets that it's anyone that that uses our service um mm. because that that's that's what we do that's the value we bring to the program yeah i think i'm just trying to like pick apart like the because because you've got effectively the curse of knowledge now you're effectively going well yeah i mean of course i'm going to invest because hey you know i can see all of this kind of stuff but the average punter listening to this podcast might not have that and so just trying to segment the you can move forward because you've got insider knowledge effectively <laughs> almost i was gonna say insider trading a little bit because you kind of know where it's gonna go up but <laughs> but but you know how do we then position that against the the general consensus thinking i might actually um flick to um nikki and natalie to you guys because the the interesting position that you're in in the team that you lead the people that you, you talk with the communication that you have and all of that kind of stuff actually is with people who don't have that level of inside knowledge right that are that are their primary information source is is you know out what's what's out there in the marketplace. So how are you, 
Talk to me about how you guys personally are thinking about investing in this environment. You know, are you are you worried about what's happening? You know, what you're reading in the headlines. You know, you guys are a little. You guys are on your second property, right? Nick's on his sixth. So it's different stages in the journey. You guys, but how are you guys thinking about it? Talk to me about that. Talk to me about emotionally, spiritually, all of that kind of stuff. How are you handling that? Do you care? What do you like? Talk to me about that. Well, we have to care because we have to have this conversation every day with with people. So we can, uh, we'll break it down a little bit about how we're understanding it. But firstly, what um, what Nick you were speaking to, we're in the inner sanctum of Dashdot. Um, so personally speaking, we completely trust what's happening, and we get to see the results every single day. So that's a huge huge uh, factor. But we then in the the sales and advisory team get to impart that um, trust onto every you know ideally and everyone we speak speak to and we get to express that um and take people through the journey so um essentially why we're investing is because if we if we didn't we would essentially lose uh the, the opportunity cost would be so much greater than any upfront cost right now um for example the property that we're about to uh, go unconditional on with the interest with, rate, with rises. the interest rate rises currently, because we're we are you know at effect of that, it's going to be about minus two thousand dollars a year. Interesting. In cash flow. in cash flow, so we've so, tipped into you know the neutral slash negative, yeah, which is essentially going to cost us about thirty bucks a week each, mm. um, right over a year, which is nothing. Like that's a, but that that's just in yeah. So this is just year one, year two we start to go into neutral. And year three, we're back into positive. It's about it's about that. And so two and a half thousand dollars cost to us this year. Yep. That's that's about it. Um, but the benefits of jumping in now and not being afraid of um the environment or the what the media is uh expressing and and mm. guarding us with is the growth, <laughs> the the upside, uh the huge amount of growth that these pro our properties in particular at Dashdot, you know, generate and create. Go for it. You want to so, ask? Something? Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask something. I'm just gonna poke. I'm gonna poke on yeah. that a little bit, right? Because yeah. I'm super mindful. Because all of you guys are all of you guys are on the inside. So what I'm picking up is a theme here already, where it's like, well, we already have the inside knowledge, and we already know that this is gonna work. So you know, from our and which can seem a little um, trite, I guess, if we're now talking to people who aren't, and and that's cool. But like. Let me pose a question to you. So you're buying a property right now that you know is going to be two thousand dollars to two and a half, whatever it is, um, cash flow negative in the first year because of current interest rate rises. My assump my assumption is you're probably going to be on variable rates, so that could get worse, right? So you could go more cash flow negative, right? What if that property doesn't grow? What if? Talk to me about that. How would you feel about that? How are you weighing up that risk now? Because um, you can have a belief in our approach. You can have a belief in the track record. You can have a belief in all of that kind of stuff. But how are you thinking about that risk? Because this is this is really putting yourself in the shoes of everybody. Other people don't, I don't know. They've got to take a leap of faith. You know, like anyone who's investing is like, well, I hope it's going to go up, of course, right? And mm. people will have varying degrees of belief, regardless of what information they've got. I mean, once upon a time, I believed that all properties were doubled every seven years. Right? <laughs> you know, I thought that was true, right? So so belief is one thing, but how do you how do you consider the risk? Yeah, it's a really good question. And I want to sort of just to dig in and ask you another question to your question. Go for it. Yeah. Um, so when you talk about that, what if your property doesn't grow? What timeline 
are you referring to? Okay, that's fair. That is a fair question. That is a fair question. And I didn't have a pre um a presupposed yeah. answer to that. I know. And I it's it's probably because where I wanted to go and what I wanted to bring to this question and this this mm. topic, um it's something that's only it's not necessarily some of our younger clients, uh, and that's why I'm blown away by TJ and, and what he's what he's achieved already. Like it's incredible. But it's something that's personally come with with age um, and with with some biological years, and that is the idea of holding the goal and the vision. This is what we work with, uh, you know, clients and people all the time. But looking at stretching the timeline and giving a really healthy timeline. Most people, when they come in, especially younger people, they're just looking at the now because everything's mm. the now in terms of <laughs> living life. It's all in the now. We want it now. You know, we want our hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, just like everything goal. in the now. Maybe yeah. like this year, bang. Um, and so it's it's about kind of looking at your life and sort of looking at well, where do I want to be? You know, ten years, fifteen years, twenty years. So, like Natalie and I have a twenty-year timeline in with our vision. So mm, we're twenty or thirty years older than you, TJ. So. Yeah, we're we're just we're just going like we're going hard in the build phase of our folio over the next say three to five years, mm. and then, and then we, we've kind of set ourselves up for the long term. So in terms of what's happening in the market, this is this is now. There will be a correction. Things will shift and change again. Um, and so if there is no growth in the next couple of years, we can stomach that. Kind of like mm. who cares, right? That's your who that's your cares. approach. It's yeah. like, well, that, that's you're not playing you're not playing it for growth in the next 12 months. You're, you're playing yeah. it for growth. Yeah. It's and that's a, a game. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a really interesting perspective because what I have learned in my, you know, short amount of time and my limited amount of wisdom, et cetera, is that the people who can like the 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 depth and breadth of someone's success is is directly correlated with their timeline to achieve that goal. So mm. if someone is playing a 20, 30, 40 year game, they are significantly more likely to win than someone who's playing a one year game. You know, and I just even on a even on a person I relate this to all areas of of life and personally I've been looking at it I I wouldn't I did a like a health and fitness program which was like, you know, effectively get your your dream goals in like 6 months and you know and you can do it and that's great. But then I, my psychology shifted to, well, what if I shifted that to a three-year horizon and what would then need, how, what would that, how would I then approach my health and fitness goals if I was trying to do it over that macro and yeah. what would that change? And in fact, it is so much A, more enjoyable, B, more likely that I'm going to hit my goals and, and keep the goals and, and C, more sustainable. And so nice. that's, yeah, yeah. So it's an interesting approach to, gen, to shift that and think that because I think that anyone is looking for, you know, what's going to happen this year is actually missing the point. <laughs> it's actually mm, missing the point. Mm. Yeah, TJ, I want to get to you, but Nick, you've got your hand up. Yeah, yeah. So I just wanted to summarize a bit on that and, and chew on that a little bit. Um, so I think there's, there's that saying that it's it's not timing the market, it's time in the market. And there's a there's a few ways to look at that because obviously at Dashdot we do time the market as well as promote time in the market. But my my firm belief is that the best time to buy a house, buy a property is when you can do it. Like you're not you're not trying to get into the broader market at a particular time. The the best time, like if I could have bought all my properties 20 years ago, like I'd be laughing now. So every time you've got the capacity and you've got the deposit and you've got the serviceability, mm -hmm. um, that's the best time to get into the market in my in my opinion because 
things often change, like your circumstances change, you have another child or you, someone gets sick in your family or your job changes and all of a sudden that opportunity is gone. So when that opportunity is there, is there that you've got all everything lined up because there's a lot that has to line up to be able to purchase a property, that that you've got to seize that as soon as you can. And that's what I promote a lot with, with our clients like this, like, oh, should we wait another six months? And, and the six months is about, if you're going to be any longer than six months, I'd always say, just get in there, just get into the market. Mm. Um, because six months is probably okay to save up a bit of extra money or maybe think about it a bit more. But if it's going to be ended longer than six months, I'm like, yeah, just get in there because you'll thank yourself in a year and in 10 years you'll be, you know, beyond the grateful that you made the jump. Yeah. The opportunity cost is huge. Totally. Yeah. There's a huge amount of opportunity cost in there. I just, I want to point out, Nick, that's almost like dollar cost averaging. You know, when they talk about like the, the best possible way to invest in shares is dollar cost averaging, where you just invest a consistent amount, you know, on a consistent mm. basis, regardless of whether the market is up, market is down. And you get like, I can't even remember what the maths is, but it's significantly asymmetrically greater returns by just doing it and doing it and doing it. And to your point, though, we are also making sure that we're buying in the right place at the right time. But then uh, on the opportunity cost piece, it's really interesting because I actually had somebody ask me um, just the other day, uh, one of our one of our uh, clients who who connects with me um, outside of, you know, just connects with me independently as well. And he was like, hey, Goose, what do you reckon? You know, should I uh, should I buy a $400,000 property in like, you know, and I could probably do it in May next year. Or if I wait until like July next year, based on my savings, I should be able to buy a $600,000 property. What should I do? And that was interesting because, okay, well, there's a significant difference over a fairly short period of time. But again, to your point, if you have to wait too long, then you, you're exposing, you, you're corroding your potential benefit with opportunity costs. And the other thing mm. to point out there is with inflation at the moment as well. So even if your property doesn't grow, stays at the same value, you're still you're still macro making, uh, you know, making benefit versus having your capital in the bank where it's actually devaluing as well. So mm. and it um and relating this back to an another angle. So there's uh, in the kind of capital markets, you know, business fundraising, you know, people raising equity money and stuff like that. Most business valuations have been crunched over the last, you know, twelve months or so. Everyone's seen that's so why the share market's down, etc. And I was reading a story around a uh, a founder who who had rate significantly high valued company, you know, sparse growth and everything like that, and had raised money, you know, had managed to raise money, but at the same valuation as they had raised whatever six months or twelve months ago. And there was a quote from him which I loved. He said, "In this environment." Having uh, raising money at the same valuation is the equivalent of raising money at, a, at an increased valuation in an environment where everything mm. else is devaluing. Keeping it the same is actually a gain. I thought it was mm. really, really interesting. So, PJ, let's flick over to you because you haven't got a word in edgeways really so far. How are you <laughs> thinking? How are you thinking about investing in the current environment? Obviously, you're a little younger, right? And so, to yep. Nikki and Natalie's point, different time horizons and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, what is what is your thought process around investing in an environment where you know, the the macro environment, people are saying, no, it's all going to hell in a handbasket. You've probably got people your age who are absolutely not even thinking about investing in property, who are probably even thinking property is not even for me. So there's probably a few other vectors that you might be thinking about this from, but how are you thinking about investing in a current environment? Yeah, 100%. I think at the moment, it's a very dynam- dynamic market. So it's moving around quite a bit. Personally, my myself and my partner, we're we're charging ahead. We're we're keen to get investing. And I why? Think why? Why? Why are you charging ahead when so many yeah. other people are stuck in the mud? I think it comes down to the mindset, and I think it comes back to what the team said here today. It's not thinking short term. If you think short term, that's going to hold you back. If you get absorbed into the media and the fear and what's going on in the market at the moment, that's going to 
prevent you from seeing your longer-term goals. Mm. So my partner and I were thinking 10, 15, 20 years ahead. And in doing so, it's telling us it's better to invest now than to be scared and wait. And it comes back to your point as well about the devaluation of money. Um, it's going to be not good for our financial position to leave our money in the bank and not invest it, in our opinion. Um, so that's why we're, we're interested in, in moving ahead. Um, obviously, choosing the right assets at the right time, we still think there's a great amount of opportunities in, in the market. Um, and so we're, we're keen. Awesome. Yeah, interesting. Because there's a couple of things, that are, a thread that I'd like to pull on, a uh, strategic thread I'd like to pull on with all of you guys here. Um, inflation and interest rate rises. Like to pull on that thread a little bit because there's some implications mm. on on both. But Nikki and Natalie, you guys have got something to say. Yeah, I had a question for TJ. Just I'm just really curious because you mentioned something about um, you know some of your friends and others like peers or whatever have a bit of fear around investing in property. And I was yep. curious whether um, and I wanted to bring forward like the kind of alternative that we're seeing now with some people is like, well, should I invest in property or should I invest in shares? Um, mm. I wonder um, if you if you could speak to that. I'm curious to know. Yeah, of course. Um, so I, I live in Sydney and I guess most of my friends are very enclosed in the Sydney market and they think properties are, you know, the median price is 800, 900,000, a million dollars. And so investing in properties never really a big thing here it's always seen as out of reach uh, and i think that's the first barrier you have to get past is being a borderless investor if you want to be an investor and especially if you live in sydney you have to go outside of outside of sydney uh, to do so in this market um, from my opinion so i i think um property is a is a better option for for me compared to shares um, I think you can you can do shares, but they're two different asset classes. Uh, I think there's a lot of benefits with with um, investing in property, um, also the leverage side. Um, mm. I think that's a huge advantage and something that you don't find in other asset classes as much. So well, to, you can, to but utilize... it's just a way higher risk leverage. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I think if you can utilize that leverage, um, that's going to give you compounding effects. So why wouldn't you? Mm. Awesome. It, it's interesting, right? Because like just tinkering on on that one a little bit. What is really interesting is like broadly the perspective. I spoke to um I spoke to Gabby's brother who doesn't live in Sydney, right? Who is it? Who lives in Victoria? Completely different. Who's not in Sydney, right? Let's just live at that. And I said to him, I said, "Hey, why why are why are people your age not like why are you and your friends not interested in investing in property?" And he basically said, "Well, we are, but properties cost a million dollars." That was literally the the, the throw. But properties cost a million dollars. So, you know, and this is a really interesting perspective because if everyone thinks the properties cost a million dollars, well, then it's like, well, I don't have a million bucks. Now, the the downside with that is that it is that we also are in an environment where younger people actually want to invest more. They actually like, you know, once upon a go back to your parent, go back to your parents, right? And the whole idea was like, I'm gonna get a job and I'm gonna work for work there for 50 years, get the gold watch. Um, and then retire and and mow the lawns and and life's going to be good. Whereas what's happened over over the last couple of generations is now younger people are actually more like what I'm not sh- I'm not sure if I want to be working after like 35. Like how do I how do I get out of this? You know how how do I get out of this construct? I don't bugger the gold watch. You know like you know give me give me a give me a sailboat and let me travel the world sort of thing. And so 
younger people are way more interested in investing and building wealth, but the perceived accessibility of that is lower. <laughs> and so it pushes mm. them into higher risk uh, opportunities because yep. they're effectively going, well, real estate would be great, but I guess it's just not for me. It's just for boomers. So I'm going to have to choose a riskier option, you know, mm. meme coins, shares that they don't really <laughs> understand, you know, effectively gambling, which is really, really interesting, right? And I just, you know, I don't have a point or a follow-up question from that, but I just think it's a very interesting construct. PJ? Mm. Yeah, I just wanted to touch on a personal experience. So I actually have some really close friends uh, who live in Sydney um, and they initially were looking to buy a property in Sydney as an investment um, and it ended up being a really, they went to an auction uh, and unfortunately they missed out on the property, but I think it ended up being a good result for them uh, because it was a tiny house and, you know, the rental yields are really low. And I think in terms of building a portfolio, I don't think it would have been a good option for them. Uh, and eventually um, through co conversation with myself, they end up signing up to Dashdot and buying a cracker property in, in WA and they've been really happy with that result. So I think it really comes down to the education piece. Mm. Um, most people don't understand what's the best way to build the portfolio in terms of asset allocation and capital allocation. Um, so I think once you get past that and learn those those important um, important notes, um, you can really set yourself up for, for success. Nice. Nick? And I think that that comes back to what we were talking about a little bit earlier. Like, do we do we have an unfair advantage? Yes. Do our clients have an unfair advantage? Yes. Um, but the the I guess the threshold that needs to get over is is on the buyer side, is on the broader populist mm -hmm. side. They need to find or have a desire to um, dig below, scratch below the surface of of what the kind of general population thinks the property market looks like and what the mm -hmm. media portrays it as. Have to have a desire to do that and there's numerous you know organizations ours included that are more than happy to kind of bring the knowledge that we've accrued over time and through playing buying you know hundreds of properties where the average investor might only buy five in there or you know if they're lucky they'll or buy five one. in their life yeah yeah or one <laughs> um so just through the sheer volume we build a lot of knowledge and we're more than happy and only too happy to to um to offer that out for free and so it's not about um, that we're an exclusive club, that we, we have a closed door policy, that the only person standing in the way of actually making that jump to a, like, a, it's really a paradigm shift in your thinking about how this market operates and the opportunity that it can have. The only person in the way to that is, is the individual sitting out there, sitting on the fence. Yeah. Like there's numerous, and it's not just Dashdot, there's hundreds of, of um, other companies out there that have similar understanding to us but different methodologies but similar understanding and, and we'll give that advice for free mm, yeah that's interesting so all of you guys are in a position to be talking to we'll call it we'll say the general public right the people that aren't on the inside whether they be friends family or people that are thinking about work of a dash dot and and come and chat with us on the front end who exist in a different mental paradigm right so how are you guys approaching those conversations? Because what we're actually talking about here is is we have an we have we have a uh, an opposing consensus opposing consensus perspective because we've got an unfair advantage and a different exposure to information. And so if the consensus is you know the world is bad and everything's going bad and all of that kind of stuff and don't invest etc. All of that all of that kind of stuff. The consensus that we have is completely the the, 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 the internal consensus is different, right? So we have um. 
So how are you guys going about having those conversations with people? Because sometimes, you know, like sometimes having um, an, an anti-consensus thought can seem a little bit tin hat either side, right? You know, it's like, why do you think that? And are you just, you know, are you just brainwashed in a certain way? And that can go in any way on any discussion. So how, we th- how are you guys approaching challenging those paradigms in an empathetic and constructive way to help people actually move forward? And Nick and Natalie, I might actually throw to you guys first because you guys you guys are on the kind of like the, the leading edge of having probably, mm. you know, hundreds of those conversations either directly or through the, through the team on a regular basis. How are you doing that? How are you approaching that kind of, that, that, that fear, that paradigm shift and, and actually presenting a new, uh, a, a new opportunity without it being just sort of some rote cult-like, we believe different. <laughs> yeah. Cult-like. <laughs> uh, one of, I mean, obviously there's different start points of conversations, meeting people with w- what their particular concern is, but you know, there's, there's obviously some truth in the interest rates have gone up mm. and starting there with some empathy. Yeah. Yes. So how do we now approach this with this knowledge with our you know intel and technology and the way we, you know our strategy and how can we still forge through and so meeting them where they're at and then backtracking it making it making sense of it with the numbers and the proof proof mm-hmm. in the pudding ultimately um you know when we looked at our interest rates at almost you know we on our on our current property you know, our repayments have gone up quite significantly. So we, you know, the, there's there's some facts here, but how do how can we use all of that and craft a strategy that works right now? Mm. And that's you know, that's the job of um, our our team is to yep. work that strategy. Awesome. Okay, I'm going to leave that. Sorry, Nikki, you're going to say something. Yeah, I just wanted to add. So what what we do is we we just have a, a open conversation like the band-aids off here are the numbers here's how it works here's our personal situation so we've got that to to bring to people so um you know just helping people to understand what is out there we can we we can't control and there's there's fear that that happens so um and the the biggest killer of someone you know moving forward is is this sort of inertia from things that are outside their own control. So mm. what we try to do is help people understand it's just how can we help you, support you to make the step forward towards what it is you want to create in your life. And, and bring you back into control of your own destiny rather than yeah. being controlled yeah. from out, out other sources. Internal locus of control yeah. versus external locus of control, yeah. right? You're in control of your yeah. own destiny versus it's all happening. It's all happening to me, right? I've so, no control. It's happening. Yeah, it's all yeah. happening yeah. for me. Yeah, That's exactly. It. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to leave that question hanging because I'd love to get everyone's kind of perspective on that. Um, but, but also, you know, interest rates are going up and it does affect cash flow. Let's all just be like, let's be super real about it. There's no point going, yeah, life's great. Just like keep doing what you... I personally know someone who had um, 90, roughly $99,000 of cash, net cash flow in their portfolio. We'll call it a hundred grand, which got, got knocked down to about 35 grand. Yeah. <laughs> right. So like in a, like this year, it's gone from like a hundred grand cash flow in the portfolio down to about 35 grand, roughly cash flow in the portfolio. That's significant. That's not, that's not a couple of grand negative. That is like, whoops, wow, okay, that's all just disappeared. So it's it is real, right? And the and scale and loads of different things impact it differently in different ways. So how are we like you know? We'll just open up the floor, um, to and we can just um 
and everyone's kind of like putting their hand up in the in the thing but we'll, maybe we'll just just have a free-for-all i don't really mind mm-hmm. um how are you guys thinking about that in your own portfolio how is, is that changing your strategy is that changing your way you're thinking about client strategies like think like in a real practical sense what is that how is that shaping up for you guys yeah i can talk on that so um, that one of the one of the things I love about this this job is that we get to have those conversations with clients and do those thought experiments all the time. So, um, have a fairly deep level of thinking around you know the the emerging issues of the different portfolio stages and the different market what's happening in the market as well. So, conversation I had with a client and this is what I've done in my own situation is basically like have a look, get a get a good understanding of where your portfolio is at what what hit you can take and at what point you'll be going backwards um and make assertive action or points or thresholds where you'll take a third assertive action to preempt what's likely to happen anyway so if i'm hemorrhaging money and it's beyond what i can what i can um sustainably contribute to to, to bring it up to, to parity so if I'm losing money on my portfolio, I've obviously got some money in the bank. And if I can see that's going to go backwards and I'm going to end up, you know, in trouble in six months, then then part of my my action plan is to know that, you know, once that happens, this is the first property that's going to get sold to to bring some of that debt down. And that's the poorest performing property in terms of um, return that it's producing on its value on the market. And so there's a bit of an action plan for if things keep going up, if interest rates keep going up. Um, then that's that's my kind of course of action, um, and mm. it, it's taken me a while to actually get my head around that. Um, and the other thing I wanted to say back to what we were talking about quite earlier on, it's not a I, I raised before that the best time to buy property is when you can. Um, that decision needs to be an informed one, so you need to be able to assess what it means to you if you buy a property now. Is it going to be if it is negative cash flow? Can you sustain that? Like it needs to be definitely a. Um, informed decision you don't just go out frivolously and go i've yeah. got a hundred grand in a bank i'm going to go and buy a property uh, yeah. And so, particularly- so yeah the, the can i the can i piece is more than just do i have the deposit and the borrowing exactly, capacity it's, right. it's the it's the you know macro from my whole life perspective can i do this right now does it even make sense and also just to that point and sorry to cut you off nick that also lends into macro life planning and stuff too like because what if mm. you've got a hundred grand in the bank and then, oh, I, I can buy a property, but then you go put your bank account to zero and you don't have any risk buffer in your own life, you know, like, so what happens mm. then? You know, cost of living is going up. And so, so the can I question is a little bit of an onion and you got to pull on it and make sure that you're really thinking about all the second and third order consequences. But then within the context of that, if you can, you know, then, then go for it, right? That's right. Yeah. So the the point is, if you if everything lines up, don't sit out of the market waiting for the market to change and be a better time in the market to do it. Because before you know it, your personal situation changes and you can't actually make the purchase anyway, or you've lost you know however long out of sitting on the sideline of the market and that opportunity cost that we just talked about. Nice. Yeah. Can I just throw something in there? Yeah, the first property we bought, you know, in six months, it had grown eleven percent in growth. And we were able to tap into that. So if we'd sat on the sideline and waited six months, we it's just like there's the lost opportunity. Mm. Right and there. then the cost of that same property was- would have would have gone up. <laughs> exactly. To purchase that same property would have gone up. So Yeah. So not only would you have not gotten the growth, but yeah, if you had tried to buy that same property in a theoretical example, you would have had to pay more for it. So it would have cost you even more anyway. So double. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's huge. TJ, you're gonna say something? 
Yeah, I just uh, wanted to add to that as well. Just with the rising interest rates, for me, how I view it, it, it means you have to be much more careful in your asset selection. That's how I view it in terms of planning out your portfolio. Um, there's less room for error, in my opinion. Interesting. Um, what do you mean by and, that? Let's pull on that thread. That's interesting. Yeah, I, I think if you don't approach your portfolio in the right way and buy the right assets at the right time, then I think that's going to set you up for more opportunity to get stuck mm. um, in terms of serviceability uh, and, and capital. Um, so I think it's really important to understand what's the right type of asset and, and what price point uh, at the right time, depending on what you're looking to achieve in your goals. Mm. And is your, is your so, perspective on what the right type of asset, has that changed because of the macro environment? Um, again, it's all dependent on where you're at in your portfolio. So mm. I, I, there's still great assets out there to, to purchase, um, but it may mean that you might need to re, readjust your strategy according mm. to your financial position. So I think that's why it's important to be to um, plan ahead. And my, my dad always said with the, the five Ps, um, prior um, planning prevents poor performance. So I think that's really prevalent there's, at the moment. There's one S for P in there, piss poor performance, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you missed a P. Yeah. I love that. Um, TJ, when you say asset selection, do you are you talking about uh, property types? Yeah, exactly. So what, what kind of focus you're looking for in the property, whether it's more towards capital growth or it's more towards cash flow. Um, right. So I, I think that's really important in, in this current climate. Mm. Great. Um, the other thing I just wanted to add, which is sort of tying back into what TJ was talking about earlier, we were talking about the share conversation. So, we, you know, <laughs> coming back to when you, if you're looking at, so, oh, should I buy a property? Should I buy shares? With shares, you, you, you might get growth and, mm. you know, there's at a higher risk, of course. Um, but, but you know, looking at the cash flow and then you can't necessarily tap into the equity growth to continue growing that share portfolio. Um, yeah. Like a- I mean, I, I personally pulled my money out of shares to put into property. So uh, yeah. that's how I kind of view that situation. I think not, financial advice, not financial not advice. Not financial advice. <laughs> yeah, put that out there. <laughs> that's just my own personal experience. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, but I think... The secret sauce in, in it, though, like as TJ said, is the leverage. Like, if if you compare shares, if you had cash to invest and you compare shares with property, like I'd be on the fence as to which one's better. Particularly because property is definitely not passive, where shares are. So property does take some of your energy to, you know, review tenancy applications and get repairs done and things like that. So if you're looking for a life of freedom, choice, and abundance, um all else being equal if you had a few million dollars of cash in your hand now to produce a passive income from you know i'd be willing to have that argument about whether shares might be a better a better thing to do if you're not looking for the growth and you're not trying to utilize that leverage to to supercharge the growth mm. then most you know, people I don't, I don't come know. in and have got like a hundred thousand that's back. exactly right yeah and yeah. that's and yeah, that's the point. Yeah, yeah and, to, and to your point, it's like if you had a few million dollars to invest and also didn't want to use any debt, right? If you were yeah. like, yeah. do I just buy properties in cash or do I just buy, you know, shares in cash? So I guess the other thing that you've got to consider is also like, what is the point? Like, what is the purpose? What are you trying to achieve? Mm. Is it, to TJ's point, is it growth or is it cash flow, right? Because, mm. you know, if if you're like Warren, Barf- Warren Buffett, he's effectively just investing for cash flow, right? It's he, you know, 
famous to these like don't don't buy a share that you wouldn't that you wouldn't want to own if it went down by 50%, you know, it's like you know why why are you why are you buying it? And so if you're buying for cash flow, yeah, there's some really high dividend um, high yielding uh, uh, shares out there. If you're just going to buy cash versus you know what your net yields may be, even buying properties in cash, etc. But for the, the part of the part of the benefit, obviously, with property is the leverage that you can get, mm. and obviously the return on the capital. And and don't get me wrong, you can get significantly. You still can in in many cases get um, you know really solid yields. And I was going to say better than shares, but I don't know that to be absolutely true. So I'll, I'll kind of like say that with the caveat. I'm very interested to get your perspective on this, and this is a bit of an obtuse and left of center question. But inflation's going up. So as inflation goes up, interest rates are probably, uh, they, they are going to go up to be able to tame inflation. When, when interest rates go up, the cost of capital increases, which is specifically why business valuations go down, because from an institutional investor perspective, they've got to think about the return on capital versus other assets in the market, et cetera. And so shares, uh, businesses get, valuations get squeezed a little bit. Um, so if inflation is going up, which means that as the relative rate that inflation is going up, it is devaluing your cash at bank. So your, the actual purchasing power of your money is going down. So in, in, in real terms, your cash is degrading in value. And also as inflation goes up, most businesses are going to have squeezed valuations macro, which is sort of as a generalized perspective, shares are going to go down. Do you think that what is going to happen is that more and more people are going to push into the property market? Do you think that that is uh, going to happen? Do you think that we could end up with a, an aspiring cycle where everyone tries to shove their cash into property regardless? Do you think that, you know, I'm interested theoretically where you think that that is going to go. And I don't have a, an exposed perspective on that. I'm just curious on your thoughts. Because I was talking to somebody the other day who was very much like, you know, the inflation spiral is going to get out of control and everyone's going to go throw all their money into property and you know, he was, this guy lives in Japan, right? And he's sort of seen other markets and, but it was a very interesting perspective. And I was like, you know, generally could be true, but I'd be interested to get your thoughts. Anyone? Interesting. I don't have enough intel on, on, on an answer for that. I, I would <laughs> like to throw it to Nick. I reckon. <laughs> <laughs> the, the thing also, uh, it's Ankle Patel. The, the 18.6 year. Uh, I, uh, yeah. So, well, yeah, I, Akil Patel came on the, uh, on the podcast, but it was actually, his name escapes me, but yes, but yeah. Yep. Yeah. So that's, that's the kind of the overlying lens that I consider these things in. So I think what you say is true. There's numerous forcings that are going to keep pushing property prices up at the moment. So there's what you just talked about. Um, the, the move to hard assets, which are, um, a hedge against inflation in an inflationary environment. There's the increasing um, migration into Australia. There's the super tight tenancy rates at the moment. Um, so there's lots of things pushing prices up. And, you know, I think at some time there's got to be a, a big correction the, based based on the, the that discussion in that the podcast with um, Akil Patel. That was going to be around 2026, based on that 18.6 year. say big correction. Cycle. Do you mean a big so, correction in property, or what do you mean by that? Like a big, like a well, no, no, in the, in an economy. That's how I yeah. understand it. But triggered partly triggered by property, so it's a big correction in the economy. So a major event mm-hmm. like a GFC type thing. Yeah. Um, it maybe it could be triggered by anything, but the um the way the cycles work, as I understand it, is, that, is we keep rescuing it and it keeps ramping up and ramping up so that the fall gets bigger and like the 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 height that we reach gets bigger and bigger and the fall becomes bigger. 
um, to to get back to what is a you know a fair reasonable market value for for property and for other assets mm. or something like that. Um, so in answer to your question, yeah, I think I think that is a, a cycle that we're in. Where and there's there's a number of years ahead of us still of really good returns in property. Mm. Um, but I think that like my when I'm personally looking at it, I'm kind of positioning myself for that and making sure I'm not to- totally like too leveraged approaching that point. Mm. Um, and that ideally, where I'm in a position to be able to, you know. Um, make good of that situation if and if and when it does happen Mm. interesting anyone want to riff on that or anyone want to pick up on that thread or we can pull it we can we can go and shift in a slightly different direction i guess i'll just add i'll add something um in terms of the share versus property debates i guess there's a few ways to look at it i mean if you're looking at it from a short-term perspective or a long-term perspective i mean i don't think shares are necessarily a bad bad asset to have and just because it may be potentially a down downturn at the moment doesn't mean mm. it's not going to recover. So I guess it's really about what mind frame you're you're looking at. Um, and you might argue that with shares going down in prices at the moment, it's a great time to buy and pick mm. up pick up shares or great great businesses at at a cheaper price. You know those businesses for the most part are still going to be around uh, if you have good faith in them. So there's an argument that way as well. I think. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? It's interesting. So. What advice would you have to to someone who's just listened to this for the first time and he might be like, well, you know, we're in a we're in a big dip at the moment, the economy's going bad, are we going into recession, you know, like at the time of recording, you know, US inflation has just gone up. It's, you know, like things are what advice would you have, TJ, to someone who who maybe hasn't even started their journey, right? And is it's kind of just going, well, what do I even do? You know, like, what do I do right now? What advice, what, what advice would you have? I think the main thing for me is um, to get educated, to to gain the knowledge from people that have gone through these experiences. I mean, these these kind of downturns have happened in the past. Mm. Uh, so there's lessons to be learned from history, I believe. Um, you say downturn, you mean economic downturn, right? Economic downturn, correct, yeah. yeah. So i think you know listening to podcasts like investor lab as well as there's plenty of other resources around um if you get that knowledge it gives you more confidence and if you have the confidence you can make better sound investment decisions Mm -hmm. so that's where i kind of come from um everyone's in a different position so i think unless you have a sound understanding of what's going on in the economy uh, that's only when you can make make good decisions for yourself nice nice Anyone else got advice for someone who might be uh, who might be just starting out, or potentially someone who's got a few properties and is wondering whether to move forward? We're, we've been here before. What what you TJ were just saying, like history has. Mm. We've done this before. The yeah. most successful people have actually taken action during these times, and we have to elongate our timeline. Our and, mm. and not so fixated on right now. That is the short-term thinking. That is where people get stuck. That's where people get fixated and they don't make decisions and they look back and they wish they had. If I'd bought that, then I actually would have been here. And we're right in that time zone. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> if we believe the media, we will um, uh, jeopardising ourselves or cutting off a limb. Absolutely. Longer timelines. Nice. What about you, Nick? Yeah, I think it was the same, same thing. Like if I had the opportunity now, Knowing where 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 history is going or where we are now to go back and invest during the GFC or even immediately prior, 
you know, I'd be, I would, I wish I had done that, even though that we we've rode through some pretty bumpy ground since with that, and then obviously the pandemic. But in in the in the longer term horizon, um, all that's kind of not that significant in the scheme of things, as long as you can weather that downturn. So I think you need to have an informed um, position about what the what the worst case scenario is, and can you weather that. Or what's your action plan as things go bad, which is what I was talking about earlier, and what TJ just said. Um, you know, if if interest rates go up another two percent, which I don't think is unbelievable, um, I think that that could happen. Mm-hmm. Um, what's your action plan, and at what what are the thresholds where you need to take take some action and be in control of that action rather than having it foisted, is that the right word? Forced upon you from the bank or whatever. Um, so you want to do it on your own terms. If you need to sell a property, you want to do it on your own terms. Um, if you need to take, you know, um, mitigating action so that you don't end up bankrupt, you want to be the one that's in control of that, not have a, a public trustee or whatever doing that. Nice. Um, so the point being, um, You've got to understand your position and whether you can weather what's you know a reasonable worst case scenario. But the fact that there's a potential downturn or there's a very likely downturn on the horizon, in my opinion, doesn't necessarily mean you shouldn't invest now. And in fact, if I could have invested back at those downturns previously, I would have done that. So I don't want to be sitting here in another ten years going, "Wow, I wish I'd I wish I'd put some more money on the table in in 2022." <laughs> yeah, that's exactly my point of view as well. It's like even if you just go back to April 2020, what would I have done differently if I could go back to April 2020? You know, like consumer confidence was at about the same level. It's like. What would I have done differently then that would have set me up better today is, is an easy frame for people. Because GFC is quite a while ago. You know, a lot of people are not mm. like, but everyone can kind of remember back to April 2020 and how they felt and what the environment was like and what the news was like. Everyone remembers it. It's not very long ago. So even just going back to then. Final question I want to ask everyone here because we're talking about an economic downturn um, or economic turbulence or economic, you know, there's like, we say that, but also unemployment's at record lows and all of that. There's, there's, let's just say there's economic gyrations is probably the best way to think about it because there's some bits that are going one way and other bits that are going another way it's like you know it's yeah. it's swinging around all over the place in in, in a variety of ways so i think gyrations is probably the closest thing that we get to understanding what they what the economy is doing right now but my final question to each of you individually uh is with the media telling us that the property market is going down and the property market is crashing particularly if you read the paper my question to you is based on what you know with your access to inside knowledge, is it? Simple question. Is the market crashing? Uh, simple answer, I think no. It just depends in which areas you're buying it. There's plenty of markets in Australia. Um, and I tend to not really focus too much on what the media is saying because I understand there's other motives there. They're, they're out to grab your attention and to get uh, revenue from advertising. So for the most part, they're sensationalizing what they're saying and it's not the complete truth. So I tend to look at the data and that the data will give you a better understanding of what, what is reality. Um, and in plenty of markets in Australia, they're going, they're going up. So. Nikki, Natalie. And that's why I have faith in our generations because of what (laughs) TJ has just said. That's awesome. Um, I just, yeah, everything that TJ has just said, I absolutely hundred percent agree. Ditto. Um, yes, full confidence. It t- again, take the internal stance. Uh, 
the internal stance, everything that is in the way of you actually moving forward is is is, is typically a lack of education, lack of understanding, mm-hmm. knowing what we know inside Dash Dot. Lack of insights, yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. And on the other side of that, on the other side of a decision, is is the momentum that that is you know once you once you do get started and you move towards like now we're in in our second property um, coming to towards settlement, uh, it's it's a far different experience. I'm sure TJ, you'd agree, right? Like the second time, and I'm sure then then there'll be the third and the fourth, and having that momentum, it gives you confidence. You've got education. You know what's going to happen. Um, and, and as Nick said, managing and doing this, you know, smartly, uh, with, with all the numbers in front of you. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Nick, is the property market crashing? Um, I think it depends on where you're focusing your lens. So if you, if you're sitting in Sydney, it's like what TJ was saying earlier, if you're sitting in Sydney and, and your lens is focused on Sydney, you probably can't afford a house as a, as a, you know, millennial and the same same argument if you're sitting in sydney and your your lens is trained on sydney is the market going to crash yeah i think there's probably going to be some more some more um funds shaved off house prices in in sydney but if you broaden your horizon to the whole of australia then yes you can buy a property as a millennial and the whole of australia is certainly not going backwards and obviously we've got the data to 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 mm. demonstrate that and we we share that openly with our clients on a daily basis um, but it's just about um, opening your your horizon to look at a broader market and a broader you know geographic area and it's very easy to, to spell that that what I'd call it a myth it is a myth the, the property price isn't crashing as a as a rule across Australia mm, nice love it guys well thanks I've actually really enjoyed this style of discussion so maybe we'll do it again really great to have you on. Um, really cool to hear how you guys are thinking about all of this kind of stuff, you know, as you are in market, actually buying properties for yourself, walking the walk, talking the talk and walking the walk and actually doing it and go, well, this is how we're thinking about it. This is, this is our actual perspective whilst we're actually buying properties in the current market. I think it's a really valuable perspective to have because a lot of people are just like, uh, I'm not really sure. So I think this is actually really super valuable. I've loved to hear, loved hearing all of your thoughts and um, general insights, lots of good ground covered. So thanks, guys. Really appreciate you coming on. Thanks, Good. Thank you. Thanks, it's been guys. Fun. Thanks. Yeah.